to rock, rock, rock that rockabilly rock, rock, to keep them rockin', rock and roll. Well, I rocked over here in a rock of a sleigh. We're going rock, rock, rock. They were rocking and rolling. Rock, rock, rock. Too tight to rock. Well, all right. Welcome to the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast. I'm Don DiMuccio. And you may have noticed that today's opening theme was made up of songs entirely by rockabilly legend Robert Gordon, and there's good reason for that. In a few moments, Robert will be joining us on the show to talk about his five-decade career and a killer new album, Rockabilly for Life, which we'll be hearing some cuts from shortly. Now, I've mentioned a few thousand times that I'm the drummer and co-founder of the Swing Blues Roots rock and roll band Black and White, based out of the New England area, and Robert was a huge influence on our sound, along with the Blasters and the Paladins and the Fabulous Thunderbirds and a ton of artists. Well, this was inevitable, I suppose. Today's co-host is the other co-founder of Black and White, the bass portion of our rhythm section. My longtime friend and business partner of over 30 years, my work wife, Kevin Martin. Good morning, Kevin. Hey, Don. Listen to that intro you just played. It brings us back, you know. It sure does. the early tunes we did. Uh, when did we start the band? 89? We did. We started in 1989. High school classmates. I remember being in school with you, and I don't remember ever talking to you. Oh, the good old days. Yes, yes, yes. To us back then, looking for guys just to you know play music with was tough. It was. Well, but you know why, too? We've got to set the scene. 1989 was hair metal era. It was. But for the most part, the guys that I was trying to get into bands with just wouldn't listen to the kind of music that I, I wanted to play or didn't listen to the kind of music I wanted to play. So, you know, you, the, the pickings were slim. So a lot of the guys were into the, the the metal thing, which was cool, but it wasn't it wasn't my wheelhouse at all. Yeah, I mean, I I, I came up with a classical upbringing and whatnot. I did it had the private lessons and everything else, and but yeah, I mean, a lot of guys wanted to do uh, you know the Bon Jovi, the cover tunes, uh, and I I wanted that sound. I didn't even know what the sound was at the time. I, I heard Stevie Ray Vaughan, I, and I heard the Stray Cats back then. And I, I just loved that stuff. Not that I didn't like everything, but I didn't even know what a one, four, or five tune was at the time, you know. And um, when I finally figured it out, I mean, the doors went wide open at that point. I was always a rock and roll snob, or as I was called recently, what was it, rock and roll nerd? All right, I'll take that. <laughs> but you know, even then, I just I liked what I liked, and it was very hard to find like-minded musicians, like we said. One of, one of the things I know you've said, you know, when you're in high school, that's who you know, your friends, your backyard, basically. And it's hard when you're a kid to look outside for other musicians. Um, yeah, it's a small, small world. You exactly. Know, you create in your head for yourself. Right. So I guess it was lucky that me and you uh, musically hooked up. The first iteration of Black and White was not what we ended up settling on music-wise. No, we did, we did the, you know, just a bunch of classic rock tunes. Nothing wrong with that, but no. it, it was the, the typical stuff that... You know, if we did the Leonard skidding into the Who or Led Zeppelin covers, and we we did a ton of them. I mean, nothing different. A lot of bands just do the, do that when they first start off. And I think we did two gigs in 1989. Yep, I remember we landed at a uh, blues club, and there was a bartender there who gave us some very good advice. Oh, uh, you'll never make it on the weekend because back then, nowadays, you know, you go to a club and you you're a Friday night right away. You know, you play Friday, Saturday, no matter how many, it's just a matter of how many people you have. Uh, not to sound like I'm, the back of my day, I walked uphill, uphill in the snow. But back then you started on Monday nights and you played Monday nights and Tuesday nights with about 
80 other acts that showed up. If they thought you were good, you moved to Wednesday night. If they, if they thought you were good after that, you uh, you opened up for a, you know, a bigger local act or a national act if you were that lucky and they were having a national act. So you really you had to work your way up. Sure. Uh, when nowadays, boom, you're in Friday night, all right, bring everybody you know and you're in. So it's much different now. And, you know, when you're a kid, everything has to be done right away. You don't have time to wait oh, and develop. So I say, I believe January 1990, we, we did that gig. We got that advice. We decided to change up the band. Now, we had had a, a, a guitar player that I've known since childhood, Mike Bastion. Hey, Mike, if you're listening, big shout out. Great kid. And um, and me and you and, an, and, a, and another singer. And that didn't work out. So um, fill in the story about how you came across somebody that ended up helping to define our sound for a while. Yeah, early, earlier I went to a different high school earlier, and uh, I was playing the you know the school band there, and there's this other guy you know guy that was there, and he was you know, a little bit of an odd duck, you know, but man, could this kid play piano? We did it, ended up doing a you know school sh- talent show, whatever it was. He got up there and he played uh, you know Great Balls of Fire and a whole lot of shaking going on, and it was amazing i mean it was a, it was jerry lee lewis and a bit of elvis with comedy and spontaneity thrown on it uh his name was eric mazaki and uh, i said man i and this is like years before you and i had met and i said man uh, i'd love to get that kid in a band again back to the you know i've seen the stray cats and stuff like that and i was like wow this is this, that 50s sound but he did it with energy it was like a hokey uh hokey version of it and um so yeah, years later when we needed a singer, I said, oh, I wish I could find that guy. And I ended up calling the, my old teacher and he's like, oh, I got his phone number. And he's like, I, I, he comes in here every now and then. So I called him up out of the blue and he was doing literally nothing. He was in college studying to be a music teacher, but he wasn't playing in a band. And I said, hey, you want to join a band? And he said, okay, right off the bat. And in walks Eric Mazzocchi. And that was it. That was black and white. We found the, the formula. And I mean, what were you, 17? I was yeah, 18? time, yeah. You know, he was an old man. He was, I think, 20. Oh, over the hill. Yeah, the yeah. grown-up, you know? And it just, it, before it always, no matter what little group I would form or whoever my friends, I'd say, come on, you know, grab a guitar. It was always an uphill battle to get them to rehearse, to, to agree on songs when you were a kid. And I started forming bands when I was 11. Um, I remember that first rehearsal where we were with Eric and yourself and Mike, and it just, I mean, I I, I had this uncontrollable smile on my face while I'm playing like a, like a loon because I was just so happy. I said, this is it. It just felt great. And I don't think it took about a week or two before we were back at that same club, except this time on a Friday night. I remember I remember the first rehearsal. It was like we had our we had been playing forever and had our we had our first set within like fifteen minutes of him walking in the door. Yeah. And we and I remember you know, you being the the planning guy, turn around and you know, flipping through your calendar or you know, booking it solid in your head already. Yeah. And uh, yeah, with with his uh, you know fifty styling, and plus his uh, Eric was a. It's hard to say. Like I said, he wasn't a comedian. He Not a comedian. Jokes. No, no. But picture Jerry Lee Lewis mixed with John Belushi on speed. Yeah, he would he would suddenly just you know jump up from the piano and run around and interview right. somebody in the audience, then back to the stage. And not in a hokey way, by any means. I mean, it's, it, they throw around that phrase, naturally born. Natural, yeah, natural born showman, if Natural you showman. He was. He was. And believe me, it was a team effort. We came up with the music. We came up with sometimes even some of the antics that we would do on stage. But 80% of it just came out of his head. And I had yeah, a hand it to him. All improvised. 
And, you know, some things worked, some things didn't. So, you know, we did tune that over the years. of the genre of music it was 50s rock and roll roots rock and roll a little bit of rhythm and blues in there we were playing toward an older crowd older than us anyways oh yeah it was at least 10 years older if not more which at the time i mean if you're 30 and somebody's 50 it doesn't make a difference but when you're a teenager to young adult if you will to a 30 year old i mean just an immaturity there's a big difference between an 18 year old and a 30 year old and for us to go out there I mean, we were still kids, probably still acting like them. But when it came to music, there was that level of, I feel like maturity that we had hit. And we were respectful for other acts, and we, we we just took it all in. We still had that youth, and we were you know un, unjaded by people. So um, when we went in, we saw something, we just absorbed it like a sponge. You know, we were playing clubs that we were too young to be in, and I felt honored by that. We had won an award for a local radio station, did a hometown heroes event. It was the big radio station in the area. That's right. In the Providence area. And uh, we we were part of the the, um, the winning acts. And mind you, again, a lot of the acts were heavy metal acts at the time, but uh, uh, there was another blues band in us that had won. And they were putting on an event at, uh, for it. And it was tons of people. And we went in there and we ripped our songs. And the crowd, I remember, went crazy. Yep. And just, we turned around and we're thinking, uh, we are the kings. We walked off that stage and security opened the back door and booted us out in the alley. <laughs> exactly. And we, listened to, we listened to the crowd applaud from out in the alley, alleyway. You know, Sorry, guys, too young. You're not old enough to be in there. And that was, and we walked, <laughs> walked through a parking lot, listening to the crowd yelling, going, yeah, we did pretty good. I was fine with that. That's cool. Because we did our thing, we made our mark, and we took off. <laughs> but it was like a Lone know, Ranger. That's it. That's oh, it. Blues, rock and roll. And we, we, you know, again, a young band doing this kind of music for an older crowd. We were getting a lot of attention from some of the big names that play around here. A couple of national acts. We got to, I mean, we got to meet and work with Junior Wells, legendary blues harmonica player. Um, geez, who else? Uh, Bo Diddley. Um, it's, it's so it's things G. we did. Smith, G. America, Smith, 38 special. Yep, yep. Uh, a lot of the blues great Luther Guitar Jr. That's right. A Buckwheat Zydeco. Yep, yep. Taylor Dane. What? Did we actually play with her? Yeah, we did. We, we did. did show, we did a show with like, was it 98 Degrees? Remember that? <laughs> and this is after, what, was, what was Jessica Simpson's uh, husband's name? That was his band. How did a blues band get hooked up with that? I don't know. When you play the local festivals, God only knows what you're going to see. You know, they want the big acts from around the area to to do the warm-up. Then the national act comes out. And I think we, oh, we played with America. 
Eric Burden. Jefferson Starship. Yep. Um, Southside Johnny. Southside Johnny. Sean, I know. That was a big thing for me. Because I used to watch them on TV when we were kids. And remember, we were sitting on the side of the stage at the old uh, Strand Theater, sitting with uh, Lenny. sax player Lenny. And yeah. What a great guy he was. Yep. And, uh, you know, they weren't all the original guys at the time, but, I mean, to sit there with some of them, I mean, Screaming Scott Santini, the piano player. The drummer was. Jocko was there. I, th I think I let him use my snare drum. Something had gone wrong with his. And it wasn't lost on me, too, that these guys were at Woodstock. No. Was, you know what I mean? This is, we're sitting with them. I mean, the, if you weren't there present in the moment, that wouldn't have happened, you know? Exactly. A lot of, you a know, lot of our friends yeah. were doing other, other things. And, right. Uh, you know, here we are. You know, maybe maybe they thought that was uncool. I thought, you know, with the same mindset that we always had, that yeah, we're gonna we're gonna go somewhere with this. We even caught the attention of the local news channel. I remember that. Uh, by the way, that wouldn't happen nowadays unless no. you committed a crime. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But three quarters of the news they came. How did we get that? Three quarters of the news they came to us and said, "We're going to do a story on you." And we were running through the entire newscast. And they followed us around all day. Sure enough, they interviewed us. They went to the the Last Call Saloon, which was the place in Providence, especially for blues. Everybody that was everybody was there. We had the place packed. They filmed it. It was great. Two, three. And it didn't end there. We kept it going through our 20s, through our 30s, through our 40s, and here we are. How many records? Uh, I think we recorded uh, five albums. No, we wrote our own material. Um, still do. It's all available. Blackandwhiteband.com. Check Shameless it out. Shameless plug. I think we started, we, we, when we started with Erica, we were doing the, you know, the pumping piano player 50s, you know, rock and roll. We threw some Rolling Stones in there. Oh, yeah. You know, things we could do with him. And, uh, you know, that's that was our thing. We were just a high-energy uh, roots rock band that just so happened to be uh, a young band at the time. And we were getting some accolades for it. And, and like anybody else, things changed. We ended up, uh, you know, departing ways with, our, with uh, Eric and bringing on a new singer. It was Mark Wagner at the time. Mark Wagner, singer, guitar yeah. player. What year was that? That was in 93. Yeah, and that was funny. Eric departed March '93. Two weeks later, we're back out playing, and we have a new singer. We just rehearsed every night for three weeks, two weeks straight, and we just picked up right where we left off. But Mark brought different things to the table. Certain smoothness. There wasn't that that frantic now, thing that we had before, which was great. Right. Which was awesome. I and I, you know, still love and look back on it and think it's great. I mean, we should should say for the record, unfortunately, Eric Narwhalman Saki passed away a year ago yeah. from uh, just natural causes. It's yep. one of those unfortunate situations. And we kept and we kept in great. touch with him over the years. He, he worked with us on uh, certain gigs numerous times. Yep. You know, and he played on our, played on other uh, records we did after the fact. That's right. That's so right. We always kept in, we kept great with Eric, and he was a great performer. You but, know, God rest his soul. But uh, when we when Mark came in. 
it was more the smooth guitar th- thing. Um, the T-Bone Walker, Charlie Christian. Right. And um, and his vocals, I mean, he was more of a crooner than, a, than a, you know, a rockabilly screamer kind of guy. Um, there was a certain smoothness, smoothness. You, can hear on, you can hear it on the records. I'm old enough to love, but too young to spare your heart. Fate has did me wrong before. I'm out before it comes apart. Ain't it funny? Again, it's that maturity thing. We were getting older. The audiences were changing a little bit. Times were changing then, too. It was the resurgence of uh, swing. I think there was like Squirrel Nut Zippers and Cherry Poppin' Daddies. And yeah, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and Brian Sets up. Brian Sets uh, Another orchestra. one of yeah. my big influences for modern day heroes. Sure. When he did this 17-piece orchestra, um, oh, I was blown away. I actually got a chance to shake his hand at his last performance. Uh he did it at a casino, so that was a big thing for me. But yeah, I mean, it's we were at the, you know right place at the right time. He he reinvented himself a couple three times, so there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, he goes back and forth now. Yeah, between the three piece and the seventeen piece. If someone who didn't know us, I guess you could say the early stuff was more geared toward like a George Thorogood with piano, if that makes sense. Yes, um, absolutely. And the the. You know, black and white Mach Two with Mach Wagner was much more of a like a, a swing, a um, little bit of surf music too. That was making a a, a bit of resurgence. Oh yeah, um, definitely. So we did a lot of that stuff, and Mach stayed with us for fourteen years. Uh, fourteen long years. More records, more uh, more, more clubs. Yep. We did it. We did what we did. We headlined the. the Portsmouth Blues Festival. Headline Portsmouth, New Hampshire Blues Festival. We played the Boston Blues Festival, the Hat Shell. Great place in Boston. What a sound because of that shell. And now that's where the Boston Pops play. Right. And they do their 4th of July uh, spectacular there. To be on that shell was uh, overlooking that crowd. The natural acoustics of it all. Yeah. Yeah. We did television commercial spots for uh, local uh, businesses. There was a Lincoln Greyhound Park in Rhode Island that was a big spot that we ended up doing the background music for that and a lot a lot of a lot of stuff for a for a young band that was uh really great so yeah mark was with us for uh what 14 years i think yeah 14 years we up to 2004 yeah i mean after that it was just, it was up to us we were like all right well what do we do now typical situation with with any band you, you members move on to other bands they stop playing whatever I mean, we started auditioning with some people, and uh, in the meantime, we had all these gigs lined up, and um, so we were going to other bands, our buddies, on their night off. If they didn't have one, we hired them for that night, and uh, while we were auditioning people, and we just kept hiring a guy for this night and that and that night, and all of a sudden, we just started using a rotating schedule of, of guitarists, singer, frontmen, and it was great. I mean, we were playing with this guy from that band, and this guy from that band, and... Uh, Every night was something new and something different, and we yeah, we're, we're doing. They're doing our material. We're learning their material. Yeah, um, I mean, we carried it on to this day. 
from a business point of view, it's great because now you're getting their fan base plus your own fan base. Yeah. New audiences are discovering you. And also, you no longer have one front man holding you by the proverbial balls. You know? You can change people as you like. And and the funny thing is, like, so many things that we did, we, we saw, like, a trend start happening. And we would do a certain kind of music. We'd see other bands start doing it. Um, I noticed a lot of guys around here have picked up our rotating roster of front men idea and are doing the same thing. So this is where we are today. And some of our... Uh, those influences, Robert Gordon was a huge influence on us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, major. Especially when we started turning towards that, uh, the rockabilly sound. And we're starting to look around like, uh, you know, who, who should, I, th- I think we were, we were hit Link Ray at one point, and then yeah. they, which led into Robert Gordon. Robert Gordon is the king of rockabilly. Bar none. My gal is red hot. Your gal ain't doodly squat. Yeah. My gal is red hot. Well, she ain't got money, but man, she's really got a lot. Well, I got a gal, six feet four, sleep in the kitchen with a pizza at the door. But my gal is red hot, your gal ain't doodly squat, yeah. My gal is red hot, your gal ain't doodly squat. Well, she ain't got money, but man, she's really got a lot. My guest today grew out of a burgeoning New York City punk scene to spearhead the rock and roll revival of the late 70s and early 80s. Teaming up with guitar legend Link Ray on his first two albums, Billboard magazine heralded him the new voice of rock and roll. And fast forward 40 years later and he's back with a new CD, Rockabilly for Life. Please welcome to the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast, my hero, Robert Gordon. Good morning, Robert. Hey, Don. How you doing, man? How you doing? Yeah, we're doing all right. Thank you for uh, classing up the joint by agreeing to be on the show. Uh, my pleasure. One thing I know about you is that you've been touring constantly, and it must be killing you not being able to be on the road because of this crazy corona thing. Yeah, 
in fact, uh, I lost a lot of work because of this thing. Uh, I'm a little upset about that, you know. Uh, but uh, what can you do? You know, we're all in it together, and uh, it's not going to last forever. No, it's not. And I know you reject being labeled as a rockabilly artist. So if someone didn't know who Robert Gordon was, how would you describe your sound and what you do? Well, you know, I got tagged with the rockabilly thing because that's what I first started doing back in the day, you know, with Link Ray. And, uh, but we're really all about rock and roll, man. I mean, uh, there's more just straight-ahead rock and roll in my show than, than rockabilly. So, but it's a combination. It's just, I'd say it's the roots, roots kind of music. It's good time, just good time rock and roll, man. And you grew up in the Washington, D.C. area? Maryland? That's right, Bethesda. So you must have seen a lot of great acts come through. What were some of the other... Uh, well, you know, uh, in the early days, um, in the 60s, it was like mostly local local bands, but there were some good groups like the Chart Busters and the British Walkers. They were like on the, on the, on the verge of going national. They were great. But then uh, when I got into my mid to late teens, we used to go to the Howard Theater, which was I mean, all, like the Apollo in New York. So we saw all the great Motown acts, you know, of that of that period. Sure. And uh, it was it was really amazing. I mean, uh, it was an all black theater basically, and uh, I I must say I was one of the only white people in the place, but I didn't care, man. It was just so fucking cool. Sure. Obviously, when you were very young, you were listening to the, the earliest rock and roll that was coming uh, through the radio. Um, what were you listening to as a kid? What, what, what were some of the songs, some of the artists that, that grabbed you? Uh, you know, Buddy Holly, uh, Gene Vincent, Eddie Cochran, you know, uh, Jackie Wilson, all the greats, man. Sure. Uh, and Little Richard. I mean, I'm, I'm 73, so I was there. I was there at the beginning. <laughs> and- and I know you're not you're not fond of the whole British invasion thing. I've heard that. Well, that's not times. true, man. I love the British invasion shit. Cool. I love all that that early stuff, man. I saw the animals when they first came to the states. I mean, I was young. They were, you know, they just, uh, you know, they had just started out. I remember uh, actually, it must have been early sixties, yeah. So yeah, I mean, I'm I, I was I was into all that stuff, man. Okay. I mean. Um, I love the Kinks. I love the uh, zombies, man. You know, I loved all. I loved all that stuff. Uh, in the seventies, you got involved with the with the punk new wave scene that was starting out. You had that band, great band, uh, Tough Darts. Yeah, well, we were we were sort of one of the premier acts at that time, and we all rehearsed in the same joint: Ramones, Debbie Harry, uh, Television, Richard Hell. We were all there, and uh, yeah, they thought we were going to be the the, the group to break out, you know, um, but I, I left that group because I tell you the truth, uh, it was pretty sadistic. The lyrics were pretty uh, chauvinistic. And, <laughs> uh, I tell you the truth. I was into more of the, the roots thing. Sure. And, uh, actually I didn't know that, uh, Seymour Stein wanted to sign me. That was Sire records. I went with, um, with, uh, uh, Private stock? Private stock, yeah. And then went on to RCA, of course. Right. Uh, but uh, I, I had no regrets. I mean, I did five albums for RCA, and uh, they they were amazing. Sure. And uh, I've made numerous uh, independent albums. And as, as you said, I have a brand new one out on Cleopatra Records. I'm very, very happy with. Uh, I hope people get a chance to hear it. I don't know what kind of promotion 
they have, but uh, I know it's on eBay. And uh, it's called Rockabilly for Life, and um, it's it's a lot of great, great obscure tunes that they wanted me to do something uh, that people know me for, that type of music. So right. I, I actually took out the old vinyl, found more old albums than I knew I had, <laughs> and found some great songs, so I think people will like it. Oh, yeah. I definitely want to play Steady with Betty. That's a great song. Unfortunately, the version you have is not the good version. They uh, they made a bit of an error on that one track. I hate to tell you. What happened? See, I, uh, I insisted that they put all the original reference mixes on the album. So you have the mixes with special guests, 1 through 15, and then 16 through 30 is all the um, actual reference mixes. And... Uh, Unfortunately, I think they use the same mix for that one track, Say You Would Bay. And that, that happens to be one of my favorite tracks. Well, I got a little gal. She wants to go steady. But her old man says that we ain't ready. But I don't care what an old man can say. Hold it, fella. Well, I gotta go steady, steady with Betty. Gotta go steady, steady with Betty. I gotta go steady, steady with Betty. Gotta go steady, steady with Betty. Gotta go steady, go Betty, the girl I love. Well, the old man's a chick of dynamite. When you make a man, you blow out the fight. When it comes to Betty, he's a wild guy. Boys, he inside. Yeah, we're not gonna say that, me and Betty. We're not gonna say that, me and Betty. We're not gonna say that, cause we don't fear the love. Better stick around and see what we can hide. How behind a bush if a thing alright. Daddy just nothing, kind of guy. To break us up, just for spite. Yeah, we're not gonna say that, me and Betty. Yeah, we're gonna say that, me and Betty. We're not gonna say that, cause we don't fear the love. Just nothing, kind of guy to break us up. Just for spite, yeah, we're not gonna say it. Me and Betty, yeah, we're gonna say it. Me and Betty, we're not gonna say it, cause we don't feel in love. Gotta go steady, steady with Betty. Gotta go steady, steady with Betty. I gotta go steady, steady with Betty. Gotta go steady, steady with Betty. I gotta go steady, go Betty, the girl I love. Yes, daddy, 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 we fit it. Daddy, daddy, we fit it. Daddy, we fit it. Daddy, daddy, we fit it. When I go steady, cause better's a girl I love. There's a lot of great songs on there. Oh, God, yeah. Um, and the special guest you have on there is is uh, pretty cool. I do like that you did both the versions with the special guest and the ones without. And I prefer the ones without, to be honest with you. 
Um, that's what people are saying, and yeah. that's why I did it because I I agree they're way better. How did that work out? I mean, you got like Paul Schaefer, Steve Cropper, Dave Albin. Did you guys? Yeah, uh, well, they they're the ones that picked the guests, not me. So, did you uh, record together, or did you, did they part? No, 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 no. They took the tracks that you hear, the original versions, sixteen through thirty, and just uh, I guess they just sent them the you know the the track, and they put their their thing over it. That's how that was done. They were not down there. I did the record in Texas, down in uh, Austin, Texas. Yep. And uh, all the vocals are live, and I sang with the band, so that's what you're hearing on the second half of that album. Is just what came over the over the uh, microphone is live. So well, we're going to play a couple tracks off it. It's cool. fantastic. Um, can I back up a little bit now? Richard Goddard played a pretty big role. In your career, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right. Um, well, yes, you are. That's true. He uh, he was well known back in the day for doing things with uh, Hang On Sloopy and my boyfriend's back, and of course he took Blondie to to the first uh, place, and then it became popular after they split with him. Actually, yeah. Uh, but but he was there during that whole scene. In fact, he was Seymour Stein's partner. Uh, before he went on his own. And uh, he saw me with the Tough Tarts, and he wasn't that impressed with the band, but he liked me very much and uh, became my manager and then producer. I mean, producer first, and then uh, you, I don't think by law you can be both. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but he was my producer and and uh, took me to private stock, and then, of course, RCA bought out my contract with was a thrill for me being on Elvis Presley's label. Oh, God, yeah. So I felt that I had made it at that point because that's really, as a kid growing up, I always dreamt of being on a real record label. I mean, I've been singing since in public since I was 15 years old. So it's been quite a while. I've been doing this all my life. Some of that's available online. I was listening to it last night. Somebody has some of those early... uh, Unfortunately, they got out there somehow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty scary stuff. <laughs> but uh, super cool, though. Oh, thank you. Fresh Fish Special. That's for me and my friends and the musicians I know. That's a masterpiece. That is your Sergeant Pepper. Oh, that's a good album. I, I, that was one of the first ones with Link Ray. Yeah. yeah. You know, you had an amazing knack for recording great tunes written. Some I know you've you've done some writing yourself, but Bruce Springsteen wrote Fire and gave yes, it. Yes, he did, and he gave you. me the song. Yes, he did. Bruce and I were very close back in the day. He used to come to my shows and vice versa. And uh, actually, I just saw him not too long ago. You know, he did that big show on Broadway. And right. I was invited down. It was great to see him. It's been many years. So, uh, yeah, uh, I've, I've had a lot of great songs over the years. I've discovered some great artists like Marshall Crenshaw, Someday, Someway, and yep. uh, a lot of great songs. You know, I do write, uh, as a matter of fact. Unfortunately, the people want to hear the other stuff, the, the basic rockability or, you know, that early stuff that I've recorded. And I've always recorded a number of country and western tunes on my albums, too. I love country music. Sure. Uh, yeah. But uh, I think one of the best albums is Are You Gonna Be The One, the one with Danny Gatton. Oh, yeah. I was going to ask you about working with Danny Gatton. Yeah, he was a sweetheart, and I'll tell you, he was great in the studio, and he was amazing. 
Uh, and of course, Chris Spedding, I've always worked with great guitar players. That's always been my thing. Sure. Uh, Chris Spedding came in after Link, and actually, uh, I still work with, with Chris. Um, we do a tour a year. Well, a small, you know, a small one, because he's out there with Brian Ferry. Yep. And uh, in, in Europe quite a bit. So, um, and he comes um, from a completely um, different pedigree than a Link Ray. I mean, here's a guy. Absolutely, yeah. Link was a Link was a redneck guitar player, and Chris, of course, is very avant-garde. And uh, Danny was just a great uh, all-around player. I mean, they're all great in their own way. And I know you've had some people, like you said, Bruce Springsteen's an admirer of yours. You had Stevie Ray Vaughan join you on stage at the Lone Star. Well, yeah, a lot of them. Uh, I can I, I can't even remember them all. Um, Joe Walsh, uh, lots of great ones. Uh, Bob Dylan uh, uh, gave me invited me to his apartment when we were in the UK. Uh, he came to our show and was pitching songs to me. He showed me nine new songs, and I was so so uh, narrow-minded back then. I didn't take any of them like an idiot. I should have taken them all. He really did offer me all this. So anyway, my bass player, Tony Garnier has now been with him for like close to 30 years. Right. He got my, took my bass player in, uh, but I, I wish Tony all the best, of course. Sure. I've had some great players. Anton was on David Letterman for many years. Right. And, uh, you know, so I, I, I like to like to surround myself with great players. I'm working with, of course, Tommy Price, who was with Joan Jett and uh, Billy Idol for many years, and, and uh, Rob Stover, who was with Dylan back in the day. So, And uh, I have a great guitarist now. His name is Steve Conti. He, uh, he's a terrific player. So hopefully this thing will end, and we'll get back on the road. Absolutely. I do want to talk a little bit about the differences between American taste and the rest of the world who seems to have taste mm -hmm. when it comes to rock and roll. Well, I'll tell you the truth, you know, uh, all the countries in Europe are different. Every one of them. Uh, you can play in, in Spain and they go nuts. You can play in, 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 uh, actually I played in Asia and they don't make a sound until the end of the concert. Yeah, I'll never forget the first time I played there. I thought we were bombing because uh, there was no, they weren't making any noise after the, you know, each song. But then at the end of the concert, they went wild. So, I mean, it's different everywhere. You know, I love playing in the States, of course. You were talking about Japan. George Harrison said the same thing when he went over there with Clapton. He couldn't, you know, he's expecting it to be like, you know, yeah. like it, it was. Happened. And he said, Jesus. I'm not going on tour around the world now. If this is the response I'm getting, something's wrong. No, it's just the way they are. It's their culture, right? Yeah, and then at the end of the concert, they go wild. Right, yeah. right. Well, That's right. All right, one last question. Best gig, worst gig? Oh, man, you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll tell you. Uh, I don't know about... Uh, well, one of the worst... <laughs> I guess the worst gig was when I was with uh, uh, Chris early on and we opened up for Brian Ferry of all people. And, uh, it was in, I think it was in Boston. I'm not sure in, in a big venue. And, uh, that's when I first started, you know, that started out and, uh, they didn't understand my music at all. Uh, Brian Ferry's audience. Yeah. And it was a little scary. I, I'm sure there've been other, other incidences. Uh, but that was like, uh, that was sticks in my mind. 
I'm not used to getting a negative response. And that was kind of, kind of scary, but, uh, this gig, good Lord. I don't know. I've had so many great gigs, man. You know, I'll just say that, uh, the old, the Lone Star Cafe in New York City, which is gone now, yep. used to be such a wonderful venue. It was like a small roadhouse and we sort of owned that place. We could play there anytime. And, uh, I'll never forget. I was on stage. We were in the middle of a song and my drummer, Bobby Chenard, God rest his soul. He was a fantastic drummer. He was poking me in the back and I finally turned around and said, what the hell is going on? And he's pointing over here. And uh, Tom Jones was standing right in front of the stage, oh, man. Oh, wow. You know, it was such a, b- a blast, you know. And I, I mean, everybody uh, under the sun came to see us. We were like really, a, as Bobby used to say, hellified band back then. We were pretty pretty scary band back then. Uh, and, uh, you know, the Stones would come. Everybody came, you know, to see us. Sure. You name them. And uh, so that was a great time. And the big, the Palladium in New York we used to play. And, you know, uh, we just, uh, I've had many, many great memories. And the Pink Pop Festival in Europe, I think we played 100,000 people. So, I mean, I've been out there a long time. I I caught you cheating. And run around, and now I'm gonna put you in a hole in the ground. I'm gonna ride in your funeral, baby, in a black Cadillac. Oh, yeah, you think you are, oh, baby, but you can't come back. Now I'm gonna bump you off, gonna tell you the reason why you're worth but too many, baby.
Yes, that's Robert Gordon from his new album, Rockabilly for Life. Get it everywhere fine records are sold, which is basically the internet these days. Are there any more record stores, Kev? I don't have. God, no. there might be. I don't think so, though. I, even if there are, I'm not sure if anyone's buying albums for us. It's just uh, press and download on your phone. I mean, there used to be Strawberries. I think they're out of business. Uh, Sam Goodies is out of business. All the chains. She's done. I remember reaching to the plastic hole trying to grab a cassette, you know. Right. To look at it and then, you know, having to call the guy with a whole ton of keys and to fight the cassette out of the case. And those or big, buying a, buying those big CD. plastic CDs with the blister packs. Yeah. The CD was three to four inches long. Yeah. It came out of there with a box that a toaster could fit in. Do you know why they did that, by the way? Why is that? Because the record stores did not want to pay to retrofit their already... 12 by 12 slots for albums. That's I didn't think of that. Yeah. So they figured, well, they could put two of those side by side. And what a waste. Wow. I, I just learned something right now. Yeah. I never, I never even thought of it. Like, yeah, I read that something. This? Yep. I thought it was just for so you and steal them or something. No. Nope. I can do you one better. I go back to the late 70s when I was really young. And I loved listening to Top 40 Radio because it was, it was good back then. And um, you'd go to a well, record store. Musicians playing it, not drum there, machines. There you go. Well, now we do sound like cranky old men, don't we? Back in my day, men played instruments. Um, but I remember go to the record store and they'd have the 45 singles on the wall behind the register and the list, the top 40 of the week. And you know, you'd say, "All right, well, I want um, number 12, Hungry Heart, Bruce Springsteen, or you know, coming up, Paul McCartney and Wings, or whatever it was." And he'd go behind and give you the 45. I mean, it was tangible. It was something you took home. You played all day. <laughs> I mean, whether it was an album or a single, I don't care. I just wear it out. And yeah, the liner notes, reading, seeing the people that were behind it, the, the guys that actually played the music. And if you got a poster, oh. bonus. Or, you know, looking at the album cover going, gee, that would look great as a, as a poster on my wall and going to the store and trying to find it. So you could put the latest uh, poster up on the wall. Somehow downloading an MP3 and getting a PDF file of a photo just isn't doing it for me. I mean, no. I tell you, you're in a band for like, what, 30 years now? Yep. You see everything. You've seen it all. Oh, God. Crazy things happen. I mean, done. How many different kinds of gigs do we play, too? It, was, it, it wasn't just, a, you know. A weddings. Oh, weddings. We weren't exactly the wedding band. No. We weren't going to do the Macarena and the Chicken Dance, but people love what we were doing, swing and rock and roll, having fun. And uh, I don't know if you remember that one wedding we played. It was, it was a fancy wedding out in Westerly, Westerly, Rhode Island. And uh, the bride and the groom were the nicest people. Uh, what we were doing, we were all dressed up in suits. We did a jazz thing, uh, you know, for them and everything else. And uh, we went on break, and the, the bride comes up to us, and she's like, oh, we, we're going to have a table for you guys to sit down. She was thrilled. And she uh, turned to the wedding planner and said, yeah, I'll take care of these guys. And I remember the wedding planner looking at us like, you know, we were all, <laughs> all pissed off. They got to do something else. from the street. Right. So she's like, oh, follow me. We're thinking, oh, she's going to take us to our own table. Well, she took us all right. She takes us down the back hallway into an alley near the kitchen with garbage cans. <laughs> And sits at a table next to the garbage, and like a cook comes out, and he was just about to throw some food in the trash. And I think he put it in front of us, and we thought, yeah, we thought we had, yeah, this is nice. You know, we yeah, ate you garbage know. chicken. <laughs> yeah, I remember. We that. made it. That's it. That now that is success. It is. 
eating your dinner on a garbage can in an alleyway. You made it at that point. Are you a big concert goer? Yeah, so, well, <laughs> I was up to this year. And yeah, no can who have you seen over the years? Oh, God. I saw the Rolling Stones, Brian Setzer Orchestra. Did you see John Entwistle once? Oh, that was years ago. Yeah, I did. He, 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 this is when he, obviously when he was alive. And on his uh, solo tour, he was doing through clubs. And then he was playing at Lupo's in, uh, in uh, Providence, Rhode Island. this big club there. And he came in, I mean, it was like the wall of sound, but it was a wall of bass. The biggest amplifier I've ever seen. It went from his side of the stage all the way to the, like where the guitar player's Marshall Stack was. And it was... It, the sound, it was like your teeth were popping out of your head. It was that loud. Did you have a lot of effects and stuff? Because when I saw oh, him with the yeah. Who, it was a ton, yeah. ton of effects. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he was always always an influence, you know, for bass plays, that three-finger technique and the real me. I mean, he was amazing. And, uh, you know, the ox over there. When he came out, he had the same attitude. You know, the quiet bass player. Yeah. But he was he was the star of the show this time. I mean, oh my God, that's the sound he got. Yeah, again, for him it was great. Who am I? It wasn't my, my, you know, I like a little bit of a smoother low end sound, but uh, I mean, he was still great. I got to see the Who about four or five times. Obviously, never the classic lineup with Keith Moon, which I would have loved to just be in the front row and, and be able to feel what he was playing versus just hearing it on a record. Yeah. yeah, I saw them with John. It was so. And I saw the second show without him. Again, Entwistle is a, an original. It'll only be one. But for his actual live sound, it was a little too distorted. It fought with Pete's sound, um, which you don't you don't hear that on the record so much. Pino Palladino actually fits in with them pretty damn good. And I give him credit for stepping into such a tough gig. Pino's played with everybody, though. Carlos Santana. And- I saw him with Simon and Garfunkel and the Everly yeah. Brothers when they did that tour. Yep. It's funny that, that those were my influences early on. Yeah. My parents did. My father had some records, but uh, he, he didn't have any of that. It was stuff he had when we were his kids. Yeah. And uh, that's all I had when I was little. And I would see that with those, you know, the Simon and Garfunkel and the Everly Brothers. That's what I listened to until I got into rock and roll and until I got a job and can go buy my own records. Sure. Your parents are a little bit older than mine are. My parents more into the, the Motown, Phil Spector, girl group kind of stuff. I never heard Led Zeppelin. I never heard The Who. You know, that was all stuff that I discovered later on. I mean, even The Beatles, they only had like one of the early albums. Right around the age of eight or nine, I started really listening to everything I could. And got to see Bob Dylan in 1980 on his religious tour. And I didn't know at the time, but Jim Keltner on drums, Tim Drummond on bass from uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, Spooner Oldham played with Aretha Franklin on those early Atlantic records on the keyboards. Just phenomenal. Once this is all over, we get back to the concerts, back to the clubs. And I know Robert Gordon is itching to get out, as he told us a few minutes ago. And speaking of getting out, we're going to sign off from the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast. I want to thank my bass player, Kevin Martin, for joining us. Thanks, Don. Thank you, Kevin. We're going to end with a track from Black and White. Why not? It's all about me anyways. Always. Where can you find us, Kevin? Well, you can look at us up, blackandwhiteband.com. That's A-N-D band.com. Spell it right out. Mm-hmm. On Facebook. And uh, hey, Don, where can you listen to our music? Well, you can go on blackandwhiteband.com, which goes to SoundCloud, which goes to our music on the cloud. 
mine's dark and follows me around everywhere, unfortunately. Join us again next week on the It's Only Rock and Roll podcast. Have a good day, Don. Screw you. Sister Sue Sandy took the candy and did what Mandy couldn't do. While all downtown is falling down, all the food cats are going on the ground to do the Jewish George Morgan. Don't you speak that crazy sound? Here comes Freddy in his daddy's beat up Chevrolet. It's a bit strong gas, but it's guaranteed to get him late. Screech and board, swearing that they're never ever going home. They do the juju toy buggy. Now listen to the guitar tone. Tonight.